Warning, the following podcast contains strong language, irreverent humor, and graphic content. Listener discretion is advised. I didn't mean to do that <laughs> on the thing that just came out. But just things happen. <laughs> oh, so how's it going? It's going. Um, I just got out of the shower. Oh, that's nice. I worked on my um, I worked on my notes this afternoon, and then well, okay, so I get over to Kelly's, and I was gonna be I was supposed to babysit today while she mm-hmm. went and got her hair done. I get over there and she, now you remember yesterday when I was like, oh, I thought it was the 21st and the 22nd, right? Mm-hmm. Did you hear me say that to her? Yeah. Well, you said, yeah, you thought, you thought it was tomorrow instead of yeah. today. Were I thought you, it was, right? yeah, she got all the way to her hair appointment in Perrysburg and then called me and was like, um, are you available tomorrow? Because, and I'm like, yeah, I'm available tomorrow because that's what I thought I was supposed to do. Right. So yeah, so she's crazy. And it was, uh, tomorrow and Friday are the days I'm supposed to watch him. So and I, uh, so I had, I had to fucking get up earlier this morning for no reason. Correct. And she's like, I'm so sorry. Like you guys had to wake up early. And I was like, well, really, I mean, we would have had to wake up early ish anyway, because to come let the dogs out. But yeah. So her apologies are sent. I just was particularly pissed off at the world in general because I didn't sleep well or much last night because I just, well, I had trouble sleeping anyway. And then I woke up, uh, I didn't wake up. I was already up and I was reading on my phone. And then I noticed like something on the ceiling and I was like, that smudge isn't usually there, is it? <laughs> so then I turned the light on and there was a giant fucking centipede up there. And I had to enact this whole plan to kill him without getting him on my bed and all of this stuff. And so they I- They are sleep. seriously the worst. I finally fell asleep. I it was after 4 a.m. and then I my alarm went off at 7 30 and I was like I hate everything (laughs) (laughs) but anyway before we get any further into this uh this is booze and ghouls episode 63 I'm Alana I'm Leanne and uh what are you drinking Leanne you know what I um I did put use a little bit of that um Malibu Mm-hmm. rum and i mixed it with uh some simply lemonade tom has in his fridge oh nice how is that Ooh. <laughs> delicious well um so Ooh, leanne is done sitting so that's why she is uh away this- on location if you will also happy 420 thank you thank you thank you thank you happy 420 to all of our cannabis compadres <laughs> but uh, i was trying to think of like something i was cannabis 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 compadres i like that weed women weed women <laughs> that's hilarious um uh sativa sisters <laughs> Okay, That's we don't need more. 
<laughs> well, good, because that's all I've got. Would you like to know what I'm drinking? I would love to. I actually haven't tried it yet. So I have some Malibu as well. Yeah, and then good. I went and got a kiwi strawberry Snapple. When I went out to get cat litter, I, I also got this kiwi strawberry Snapple and I mixed it with that. So I'm about to try it and see how it is. Ooh, that's good. It's very fruity. Because Malibu is killing it today. I really like Malibu. It's so tasty. You feel like you're not even drinking alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> so dangerous. That's what I was saying at um last night when we were all talking about it. Like, I hate to be that person, but I really enjoy um this uh this Malibu, what I like to do is I like to take pineapple and like melon and cube it up and then let it sit in that pineapple or let it sit in the Malibu. It is delicious. That sounds really good. I've never had it like that before, but that does sound really good. You know what else I bought? I bought one of those Coke Starlight to try. Have you seen those? It's like a limited edition, like beer or something. It says space flavored. It's called Coke Starlight. It's slightly pink and it says space flavored. And I took a sip of it and I'm not really sure what to make of it. It tastes kind of like a flat cherry soda almost. I, I don't think I was a fan. I don't know. I put it back in the fridge and I was like, maybe if I let it get colder, I'll like it more. But I don't know if that's a thing space flavored it's a space flavored okay so it's like whatever I mean, space tastes like i, I had, they I would had know. been wondering what space tasted like so i'm glad that i'm able to uh you know figured that out what the hell so your sister must be really um moving and shaking with her new stuff at work Cause I, yeah. te- I texted her to let her know that like we were recording. So just like when she got home, just that she would know. And then she said, okay, I may work over a little. And I'm like, oh, shit. oh shoot. It's serious. It's <laughs> getting real. That's funny. Well, how are, how's, um, how are your doggos over there doing? How's Buddy and Barry? They're good. They're just chillaxing. Uh, they've been pretty chill today. Actually, they've been like really, really, really quiet oh that's good um napping and the like that's good so that's pretty much it really they've just been chillaxing I was um rushing to get my notes done and uh they got to barking and Ollie goes downstairs so he can bark more and then he brings Alice back up with him I'm dead and then so then they're both up here and I'm like you guys are fine if you just lay down but then no, because she. The I was going to say we all know that's not going to happen. Got to start barking, and then she gets over here to the window to look out and barks or whatever. And I was like, "All right, you got to go back downstairs." Monsters. <laughs> but yeah, so that was that was fun. But anyway, Cheers. do you have anything else that we should uh, touch base on? Not at all. I really have nothing going on. I'm just enjoying my spring break um, and just kind of chillaxing. And that's pretty much it. Because I wasn't sure if I thought there was something that I wanted to talk about that was like 
tangentially related to the things that we cover on the podcast and now I don't remember so (laughs) I have no words uh whatever it doesn't matter it'll come to you when you least expect it yeah that's probably true but I'm gonna go ahead and jump into my story then I guess that's right because this is an odd number episode and you're odd that's how I remember yeah I do the odd numbers episodes yes you're correct (laughs) (laughs) okay so today I'm going to be talking about one of America's greatest mysteries do you have any idea what it might be one of America's greatest mysteries and we're talking like early America um Roanoke yes how did you (gasps) guess I, because it's one of my favorite things and it's one America's earliest mystery, I think. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. So yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm I love this. About, I'm going to be talking about the lost colony of Roanoke. I love this. Um, I really was just trying to decide what to do and I was like, oh, maybe I'll do another haunting. And I was like, oh, I did two hauntings in a row. Maybe I should switch it up a little bit. So I was trying to think about what I could do. And then it just came to me that I would look up Roanoke because I feel like it's something that I'm sort I'm like pretty familiar with already, but also would be fun to look up stuff on. So well, I'm really happy that you picked this because it's really one of my favorite things. And um I bought I ordered this book for my students. I think I've talked about this before. It's called Histories Mysteries. It's a Nat Geo yes. book. Yeah, you did you mentioned it before. Yeah. And um this is one of the stories in there. And we read about it and we're like talking about what we think happened and stuff. It's really cool. I'd be curious to know what your students think happened. <laughs> yeah, it was a long time ago, so I don't really remember, but I'm pretty sure that they they were they were like they were pretty stumped. I think they all had different uh different ideas of what happened. Well that's and yes, one of them included aliens. So. Well well we will get to that. But <laughs> one uh Uh, that's interesting that they all had different theories because that's kind of where everyone else is at too I feel like um there are literally so many theories so I'm only gonna cover uh three of the most popular ones and then two paranormal ones just for funsies um because there's actually like a ton of different theories about this and you can look it up for yourself and see like there's there's lots and lots and lots of articles about Roanoke so I'm really only like kind of scratching the surface here nice but the uh, so I I got this first bit is some of the history stuff um largely from Wikipedia so the Roanoke colony was at first attempted by Sir Walter Raleigh uh to found a permanent English the first permanent English settlement in North America so the first time they came out and it was founded by this guy governor ralph lane in 1585 on roanoke island in what is now dare county north carolina which we'll get to why it's called dare county in a minute in a minute too but yeah so they tried and failed to establish this permanent settlement Um, So they came out in 1585 and I don't know how long it was there. I think 1585 to 1586, they tried to establish this. And then um, I think they wound up going back to England. So a second expedition, this time led by John White, came to the same island in 1587 and set up another settlement 
that is now known as the Lost Colony because of their unexplained disappearance. So, yeah, so the first guy, Lane, his colony was troubled by lack of supplies and poor relations with the local Native Americans, which is not a surprise. Um, Right. So they were there and not getting along well with the Native Americans in the in the area. And like, obviously, I watched the BuzzFeed Unsolved episode for this one. (laughs) It's just like funny because uh ryan said something like he thought he'd come in being all like oh i'm this important english lord and blah 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 and shame was like you know listen to me i'm a white guy and it was just i don't know it's just really funny <laughs> but they I do love them and they do like this is how these guys like came in and i'm like the audacity of someone to show up on someone else's land and be like listen to me i know all the things <laughs> And wait, what do you usually call your the caucasity the caucasity or whatever? Oh yeah, yeah, the caucasity instead of the audacity. It's the caucasity of these guys. And I was, uh, I didn't write it in my notes, but this whole time I had all these gifts from Pocahontas going in my head, like these white men are dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, but yeah, so 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 they were trying to set up there, Oliver. Sir Oliver. Calm it down. Mother, I cannot stay calm at a time like this. Wait, that's what he's saying. Remember when he stuck his tongue out at you? Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, I remember it because it just happened last night. <laughs> <laughs> that was still like one of the funniest things. Like, I don't do it very often and I don't do it hard, but once in a while when he, he gets to barking, I'll just kind of like, grab his snout to be like hey you know yeah cut it out stop it and um it i just went to like yeah i just like touched it and he pushed his tongue out (laughs) funniest fucking thing such it was such an act of defiance it was just seriously phenomenal (laughs) it was so funny i can't get over it come here come here you little punk okay (laughs) y'all all so and so so anyway, so they were there trying to build their settlement and they were awaiting a resupply mission by Sir Richard Grenville. And while they were waiting, I guess the guy was taking too long. So Lane abandoned the colony and returned to England with Sir Francis Drake in 1586. Hmm. Um, then Grenville arrived two weeks later. So like you couldn't wait two weeks anyway. Right. And then he also returned home, leaving behind a small detachment to protect Raleigh's claim. So I guess, you know, they left some people there. But anyway, in 1587, Raleigh sent White on an expedition to establish the city of Raleigh in Chesapeake Bay. So um, during a stop to check on the men, pilot Simon Fernandez forced White's colonists to remain on Roanoke. So and then White returned to England with Fernandez, intending to bring back more supplies to his colony in 1588. So basically, I guess this wasn't their, I don't know, whatever, that that wording is a little confusing, but he, they got there and basically like a month after they arrived, he, they, everybody was like, well, we need more supplies. You should go back to England. So he's like, okay, I'll go back. And he left behind his wife and daughter and his daughter had just given birth to oh my gosh. 
um, his infant granddaughter, which is Virginia Dare, who was the oh, first yeah. English child born in the Americas. Mm-hmm. Good old Virginia Dare. So White leaves behind his entire family here in this new place. They've only been there a month. And he's like, yeah, I'll go back to England and get supplies. I'll be back in a jiffy. But <laughs> as, as soon as he gets back to England, a war has broken out between England and Spain. So Queen Elizabeth I is like, I need everybody, like every ship we have to go fight the Spanish Armada. So literally he's like, I can't, I can't go back to you know america right now because i gotta fight the spanish (laughs) right so he is delayed for three years which is insane yeah so he doesn't get back until 1590 and upon his arrival he finds the settle the settlement fortified but abandoned Hmm. and then the only evidence of lore like you know whatever that they left behind was the word croatoan carved into a tree um which he interpreted to mean that they had relocated to the island that was 50 miles south croatoan island um which was inhabited by the croatan tribe and before he could really follow up on this well he planned to go look for them there because duh that's what you would do and so it's like it's 50 miles it's not super far but you still need a ship because it's not like you know they didn't have any other means of transportation at the time right that that could really you know you couldn't fly down there or whatever take a speedboat you need to take this big Mm -hmm. ship so he's he sets sail he does it once and then again but each time rough seas and storms prevent him from getting there and he's forced to turn back to Roanoke um and he even loses an anchor in this so they have to kind of abort this rescue mission and return to England because it wasn't his ship it was like a a privately owned vessel that he was using so basically basically White's like all right well I guess I don't know what happened to my family I'm gonna go back to England and he like retired to Ireland and and died a few years later never knowing never knowing what happened so fucking crazy dude isn't that crazy like imagine imagine being this guy he's like well my entire family has disappeared without a trace but uh i guess i'll go back home i don't know like right like all right it's been real gonna do i feel like there's a story in here like if it had been someone else maybe with a little bit more of a pioneering spirit he would have been like leave me here i'll stay here by my damn self i'll build a ship and i'll fucking go find my family (laughs) right but he wasn't feeling that way well yeah and so i guess i don't know really what their relationship was like shane brings up in the buzzfeed unsolved episode and he's like what if his family hated him and they they left the island in hopes that he wouldn't find them (laughs) right (laughs) and i was like you know stranger things have happened i guess this is true so with that being said, there are many theories as to what happened to these 115 colonists. So it's 115 mm. people. It's like 80 something men, women, and then children. The, so it's 80 something men, however many women and like 11 children. I remember that from the BuzzFeed episode, but I didn't write down the numbers. And according to this guy, Adrian Masters, who's a historian from the University of Texas, he said, quote, it's the area 51 of colonial history. 
That's so crazy. True. Basically, because it's it's so people have been fascinated by what happened to it basically since it happened. Like people, as soon as you know, the early 1600s were trying to find out what happened to these people. Cause it's weird for a group of that many people to just go missing without a trace. Right. So as I said before, when white when white returned to the colony in 1590, there was no sign of battle or um like some kind of retreat like any sign of a struggle the site was fortified there were no bodies or signs of mass graves no human remains and nothing none of that was ever found in the subsequent years so it's suggesting that everyone was alive when they left um and then the croatoan message is consistent with this uh you know kind of idea that they wanted him to find out where they were and they told him where to look croatoan island so you know that's kind of like well seems like that would be the simplest explanation but since no one ever did go there to find them or see what happened to them we have all these theories so the first theory is that the colonists were killed by the neighboring native american tribes so i wrote in here the white settlers were notably assholes to the indigenous tribes. Right. I mean, that's definitely a thing. Right. And can in you, fact, can you hold on one second? Because sure. I gotta let this damn dog in. All right. Ugh. I'm gonna leave your little. I'm gonna leave your little crazy song in. I think. Let yeah. <laughs> <laughs> be wildin'. Anyway, so. <laughs> oh, I will stop. <laughs> that was Buddy, right? Yeah, that shrill bark is yeah, just Yeah, I can funny. his yeah, his is really high pitched. It's like it's one of those yappy barks, you know? And then Barry sounds up sound like a straight up uh I don't know, like a dog that's been at the pound too long or something. Yeah. He barks. Right, he's like, oh, oh all right, I'm sorry, continue on. No, it's fine. Um, so this reason. Um, this was the reason that the first attempted Roanoke colony was abandoned because, you know, of uh, not getting along with the with the Native American tribes. Right. And so one of the tribes that had issues with the English settlers could have attacked the colony while White was away because obviously he was gone for three years, though this doesn't do much to explain why they would have carved the word Croatoan into the tree unless it was to like throw them off the scent. Um but like the indigenous peoples probably wouldn't have known how like to do the English letters. I don't know. Yeah. Furthermore, they were said to be on friendly terms with the Croatan tribe, which is where who inhabited the Croatoan Islands. So anyway, there are definitely more than one tribe in the area. So when the English settlement of Jamestown was founded in what is now Virginia in 1607, there were more search parties sent out to look for people from Roanoke and they didn't, they never found anybody. So some mm -hmm. English records actually say that chief Powhatan who um, led many of the native Americans in what is now Eastern Virginia actually confessed to someone there that he had many of the colonists killed. <gasps> oh, really? Although it is uncertain whether these records are true according to modern day historians, but this theory was proposed and, um, kind of spread by this guy David Beers Quinn who was an Irish historian who said that John Smith himself was the first to learn of the massacre in talking with Chief Powhatan but mm. for political considerations he quietly reported it directly to King James instead of like telling everybody his like published writings 
Hmm. So that, that's that's what this historian guy says um happened and that's why no one else knew about it really which is like convenient you know for your theory that's but true yeah another theory that i've said could be tacked onto this first one is that the english settlers may have been killed by the spanish who could have traveled up from florida after the english's recent attack on saint augustine so they might have been out looking for revenge um and you know just taken their forces up to north carolina and killed all the english settlers they could find but that being said it must be reiterated that no evidence of an attack or any remains were ever found so yeah i feel like if there had been an attack there would have been some evidence yeah it would have been evidence i feel like you would have signs of a struggle especially you know like there when the english attacked saint augustine i'm pretty sure they burned stuff so i think there would be there will be evidence on the land, not just human remains to show right. that, you know, some big fight had taken place. You know what I mean? Agreed. So that brings us to our second theory, which is that the colonists assimilated into one of these Native American tribes. Um, people have considered the possibility that the missing colonists could have assimilated into the tribe since at least 1605. If the integration was successful, the colonists would gradually exhaust their European supplies um, like any ammunition or clothing and discard their culture um, as the Algonquin, Algonquin, I think that's how it's pronounced, lifestyle became more convenient. Colonial era, era Europeans observed that many people who were removed by European society by Native Americans for substantial periods of time, even if captured or enslaved, were reluctant to return. So they, if the, like, if the Native Americans had captured them, even if they had been enslaved, if they were presented an opportunity to come back into like European society, they refused. Interesting. But the reverse was seldom true. So hmm. I, I was like, that should tell you something right there about right. these European people versus the Native American people, because they were like, mm, no, we like this way of life better. I think we're going to stay here. <laughs> right. They're like, no, we're, we're good. We're good. But the reverse was was seldom true so like if a native american who had been captured by europeans was given the chance to return to their tribe they'd be like peace i'm out <laughs> right exactly so i just was like mm, that should tell you something right there about the character of these people so but the, given given this information it's reasonable to assume that if the colonists did assimilate they or their descendants would not seek reintegration with the later settlers so they would stay with the Native American tribes that they right. assimilated into. Scott Dawson, co-founder of the Croatoan Archaeological Society, actually uh, said this in an interview with the Virginian pilot, quote, the colony literally wrote down they relocated to Croatoan, end quote. So he's like, <laughs> they literally said where they yeah. were going and what they like, basically what they were doing. Like, why are we still talking about this? But uh, so people have gone there and Croatoan Island is now called Hatteras Island. So evidence of English settlers from this time period have been found there, including the hilt of a sword thought to belong to an English Lord. Um, and then another quote here I have from this guy, Mark Horton, an archeological, archeological, archeologist. I can't say the word today. Words are hard. <laughs> They're hard. From the University of Bristol in England, said quote basically the historical evidence says Hatteras is where they went so 
that's a pretty good theory i'm pretty on board with yeah they they went to this island where they said they were going and assimilated with the tribes Mm -hmm. and in fact in the 1800s some of the native americans from that area uh petitioned the government for some kind of like um i don't know money basically saying that they were descendants of those settlers oh really yeah that's uh like that's in the BuzzFeed Unsolved episode too that he says yeah I don't remember that that's interesting yeah so I mean there they there were actually people saying yeah this is what happened um you know in the 1800s theory three now we move on to is that they moved inland so thanks to a secret message on this old map a team from the First Colony Foundation, which is a North Carolina nonprofit dedicated to researching the history of the Lost Colony, they think they uncovered what happened to the Roanoke settlers. In 2012, while they were examining this map at the British Museum um, that White himself had painted of an Eliz- Elizabethan-era United States, it's co- uh, the map is called La Virginie Pars. Researchers found outlines hidden in invisible ink and like they said in the BuzzFeed Unsolved episode, they were Nick Cage in it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Um, presumably to guard this information, like about these fortifications from the colonies so that like the Spanish wouldn't find out about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so these were of two forts, 150 miles west of Roanoke, the same distance away that the colonists had told White that they planned to move, according to his writings. So when they go there to this location, there was no sign of a fort, but just outside the village wall, they found two dozen shards of English pottery. Like, I mean, they unearthed this. It was like, you know, they had to dig it up. Um, And then ground penetrating radar revealed that there was another possible dig site two miles away. So this this pottery that they found is from that era. And then they Mm -hmm. continued their search in December, 2019 at at the other site, finding even more fragments of of pottery from different parts of Europe. So these fragments um, are part of are they come from vessels used for fruit food preparation and storage. So that kind of suggests that you know they were there for the long haul. It wasn't just like they were here for a little bit. It was like they they took up shop. So right. So the experts haven't ruled out the possibility that these artifacts may have been left behind by colonists from Jamestown, which was founded in 1607, so not long after Roanoke. But the researchers were confident that these were from the Roanoke colonists because there was a notable lack of English pipes, which were ubiquitous among Jamestown settlers. So that suggests that these these ceramics that they found were from an earlier period because if they were from Jamestown they would expect to have found like the pipes in there with them makes sense even even more plausible a combination of theories two and three might suggest that some colonists went south to Croatoan Island while another group of the colonists went inland I mean we're talking about 150 yeah I guess that's true they didn't all have to go right right each other so you got 115 people you know how hard it is to get 10 people to agree on something i mean let's look at lost for example right half of them had, wanted to stay on the beach half of them wanted to go inland right so i probably you have to work together or we're gonna die alone <laughs> exactly so, so my so favorite probably, show of all time so probably a very similar thing happened here and they were fighting about it, it was like 
look, let's go south to Croatoan Island. We know the native tribes there. Right. We have good um, they're friendly them. with us. They can probably help us with the food situation, blah, 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 whatever. And then the other ones are like, no, we should go inland because, you know, there'll be more food sources or there'll be whatever, better protection from the elements. And so they probably split up and said, hey, you go this way and we'll go that way. And, you know, it could right. have happened that way. And then so I wrote in here, too, there are other theories, so many theories, including <laughs> some that the colonists tried and failed to return to England. Oh, so if they got found some other boat or somebody with a boat to help them and then just took off sailing and then their boat got lost at sea or whatever. Right. Um, or even that they may have been unfortunate pawns in an elaborate conspiracy against Raleigh to undermine him and his separatist leanings. So, you know, at this time, it's like early on in settling, you know, North America that they're you know, sending colonists over here and all that. So there's not even like, you know, the whisperings of the Revolutionary War years and years right. away, you know. But there were people who wanted to separate from England and apparently Raleigh was one of these people. So this theory goes that there was this group of people who were trying to sabotage his attempts at creating settlements here. So I don't know. Anyway. That is interesting. I mean, yeah. it seems like it would have to have a lot of moving parts, but. Right, right. But there are, so there are a lot of different theories and some of them are like piggybacking off of other theories, but none of these theories are quite as fun as the more paranormal theories. Love it. Which I'm going to get into now. So theory four, mass abduction by aliens. Love it. This theory, which I wrote Ryan Bergara's favorite theory, (laughs) states that the lack of bodies or mass grave sites at any of the proposed locations of the colonists' demise makes most of the other theories implausible if not outright impossible, because 115 people is not a small population for a colony. You don't just lose 115 people without there being some type of, you know, evidence left behind as to their whereabouts. Right. Also, if they intentionally left the island in a planned manner, it does not make sense to leave such a terrible clue like Croatoan uh, written on a tree because it's, it's, it's not enough information a note or a map would have been, you know, more helpful. And then some people say this even implies that the colonists fled the island quickly and not of their own volition. So mass alien abduction would explain why no bodies have ever been found. And then additionally, it's it, if you're already on board with this line of thinking, then they say that hidden symbol found on the map by the at the British Museum that they think what was a fort might actually even be an alien landing site or some type of crop circle phenomenon rather Mm. than a fort so if that if that was true if that were the case then it would make sense that that's why john white and the colonists would want to keep that hidden and thus they put it in invisible ink you know i love this theory i mean it is it is definitely a fun theory um and there's didn't say i think it's what it is or what happened but i love this theory. right right there's a lot of uh mass disappearances like that you know planes ships and and the like where people are automatically jumped to well it was aliens yeah i'm not saying it was aliens but it was aliens. but you know obviously there's no real hard evidence to suggest that this is a thing but it definitely is fun to think about 
Hell yeah, it is. That being said, it's not the craziest of the paranormal theories. Oh, really? Because this brings us to our last theory, which I have written is the most outlandish, which is that the colonists were wiped out by a zombie plague. Love that. <laughs> Love it. Love it. <laughs> I feel like I've heard this before. Yeah. I mean, and it was in, it was in the BuzzFeed. And was it? Okay. Though, I was so going to say. That's probably and why you saw I heard it before. I love this. So it this really theory is. is is championed by the Zombie Research Society, which is a thing. Um, and specifically one researcher there named Andre Freeman. Freeman considered the findings of noted Harvard Harvard ar- archaeologist. Wow, I'm having that a word, man. It's toughy today. Lawrence Steger, who unearthed evidence of mass cannibalism at the Roanoke site. He also points to reports from local tribes stating the colonists died in a great war within their own ranks. Quote, Hmm. a sudden undead plague sweeping through the unprepared colony would quickly become a horrific, violent feast, leaving not a single man, woman, or child alive, end quote. Creepy. Yeah. He goes on to suggest that the relative isolation of the settlement and the time elapsed before the return of the supply ship would allow for the remaining colonial zombies colonial zombies to rot back into the earth um and without any humans left to feed on and no way to spread the infection the zombie outbreak would simply have died off so that's the zombie theory but i I wrote i wrote here as crazy as this theory may seem it's not crazy to think that the colonists succumbed to cannibalism as their supplies dwindled correct yeah Yeah, i mean that's not crazy no vast trove of human remains supports this. So they may have like been, you know, a little smattering of cannibalism there, but I feel like there's no real evidence to be like, oh yeah, they all eat each other. <laughs> right. Or no. that it was part of a, of a zombie type shit instead of a, we're going to starve to death type shit. Right. Or they were yellow jacketing it out there. <laughs> OMG, dude. I was about to say that too. I was about to bring up the old yellow jacket. Uh, but yeah, so I, and then I wrote here, well, this is this is kind of um, a rhetorical question at first because I'm not I'm not done with my with my talking. But I said, "What do you think happened to the lost colony of Roanoke?" And then I said, "Regardless of the myriad of theories, we may never know because, according to the National Park Service, Roanoke Island has has suffered extensive erosion over the past 400 years. So the remains of the colony may now be underwater." Oh, really? Yes interesting and then just wrapping things up here despite this mystery it seems there's one thing to be thankful for is that these lessons learned at roanoke may have helped the next group of english settlers who had found their own colony 17 years later just a short distance to the north at jamestown um and then i wrote without which we would not have had the 1995 disney masterpiece pocahontas (laughs) and i think we can all agree that that's the most important thing out of this right Oh my gosh, I fucking love Pocahontas. But yeah, so I don't know. What's your favorite theory out of those? I, I love aliens because obviously aliens, but I, I assume I'm thinking probably they went to they 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 wrote where they were going on the tree. Yeah, so here's my thing. I I think now after doing this little bit of research here, that the most plausible thing is that the colony split up into separate groups. Up, yeah. And I do think that one group wrote Croatoan on the tree and went south. That might might have included White's family being like, hey, we need to leave him a clue so that he at least knows where we went. Right. And so they went south, joined, joined the Croatan tribe. The other people were like, well, we're going inland. 
And maybe another group out here, like the raft on Lost said, well, we're going to try to get back to England. And so mm-hmm. they hitched a ride on some boat and were never heard from again. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, you know, as much as I love a good alien theory, as much as the next guy, I, I would probably venture to say that that's not the most, most. I would like to um, actually bring up a new theory here that I actually just thought of is that Roanoke Island is inhabited by a creepy smoke monster that uh, just I love it incinerated everyone I absolutely love it um I still uh I still have to say that Lost is my favorite show of all time and yeah it's definitely us in the ending I I loved it I I'm I'm definitely without a question ready to be heard again it's definitely in my top five I think really what is your top five I mean, I don't, I couldn't list them out to you right now because it, 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 the inclusion of, I feel like serious shows should be separated from like comedies. Um, touche. I agree with I that. I have a lot I of do. favorite comedies too, but obviously my favorite serious show of all time is the X-Files. So, and I think right. Lost, Lost would be probably right under that. Uh, Lost in definitely, to me, Lost and Sons of Anarchy are my two favorite serious shows. Um, and then you're right the comedies have to go in a different because there's so many good because comedies. there's so many you got parks and rec you got the office you got new, new girl Superstore. you've got new girl yeah. you've got brooklyn 99 and an unsung hero that we definitely should make you watch maybe when we're finished watching new girl again we'll start uh, P- uh life in pieces because i kid you not that show is so funny and i also um which I, yeah, I'm down to watch it, but also I feel like we didn't mention community and that is definitely. Oh, community is so good. So yeah. I love that. Um, real quick before you start your story, I have to pee. So I'm going to pause this. Okie doke. Man, that Malibu just went right through me. (laughs) So good. So good. So good. Also, okay. before you start your story, I just have to complain really quick because uh, I forgot about it coming in to this. But I would just like to to note that the local police have set up one of those signs in yes. front of our house. And it says something like kindness is free. Pass it on. Yeah, and I'm like, good. why is it right in front of our house? Are we <laughs> like, not what are you trying to enough tell for us? you? Right. Yeah, are we not fucking kind enough? (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, seriously, ridiculous. So, what do you got for me? Um, well, I'm gonna, you know, I love a good Roanoke story, but I'm gonna bring the the room way down (laughs) because my story is a true crime, and it's really fucking sad. Oh, good. I'm ready to be heard. So, yeah. So, so brace yourself. So uh, today's topic is actually brought to you by you because it was on one of those um, histories, mysteries thingies that are unsolved mystery thing that you give me to look yeah, at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the History Channel's Unexplained Mysteries daily calendar. Correct. Um, so today I'm going to talk about the horrific and extremely sad um, Girl Scout murders. Oh, yeah. I've heard, I've heard of this one before. It is both horrific and sad. Yes, really fucked up. Um, so do you did you ever go to summer camp when you were growing up? Well, you know, I'll do you one better. I was actually in the Girl Scouts and I went to were Girl Scouts. Were you Scout really? Camp. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, okay, I so was you- only I think I was only in the Girl Scouts for like a year because my friend that I was doing it with um 
wound up leaving and then I hadn't made super close friends with any of the other Girl Scouts so I was like well I'm not really interested in being here anymore either and then I stopped doing it as well but I did get to go to Girl Scout camp we had cabins in the woods and it was um, a lot of fun actually really yeah I um, I myself went to summer camp as well um, it was Christian summer camp yes I've, I've also been to a few of those in my day <laughs> It's something. I mean, like at the time I enjoyed it. Um, but eh, looking back, it's like cringe, but anyway, so, uh, so anyway, so this story takes place in, um, the suburb of Tulsa or suburb of Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, broken arrow, Oklahoma is the name of the, the small town, which actually all three of these girls that were killed, uh, were lived in, um, lived in broken, broken arrow. Okay. So anyway, um, the three girls, uh, they, all three of them were, I'm going to tell you just a tiny little bit about each of them, but then they were, uh, they all three were signed up to go to this girl scout camp called camp Scott. And actually it was like two weeks, uh, two weeks long. I don't know how long you're my, my, I mean, I remember my camp, like my Christian camps that I go to were like a week long. Um, yeah. And I feel like when I went to Girl Scout camp, it was like a long weekend. So I think maybe oh, okay. we got there Thursday night and then we left either sometime on Sunday or Monday. It was not yeah. like, it wasn't. Yeah. Week. I feel like for little kids, like two weeks is a long time. Long ass time. Yeah. I mean, I know when, when my nephew was in school, like in Ohio, they do this thing called camp store and it's like a week long we're in sixth grade and you go to this, like, there's like three different camps in Ohio and you like go to these camp, like go to a camp and, um, it's like a week. And I thought that was kind of a long time to take a group of sixth graders. So right. I mean, it's insane to me that this was two weeks, but this happened in 1977. And that's a long, you know, I mean, you know how we always look at things and go like, oh my gosh, like back in the day, they just didn't have, like, they didn't look at things the same way that we do now. Right. Or through the same lenses, if you will. So anyway, so the youngest one of the uh, the three girls that passed away uh, was Lori Lee Farmer. Uh, she was eight at the time. Uh, real smart girl. Uh, she actually ended up skipping a grade. Um, and even though she was only eight, she was the oldest of all her siblings. And um, it was sad. I watched this one thing and the mom was, the, her mom, uh, Sherry Farmer, was saying that like there was this um, camp scout, which was the Girl Scout camp, or there was like a YMCA camp. And Lori like didn't care which one she went to. She just wanted to go to camp. And the mom kind of like picked this camp scout. Aww. And so, so her mom like obviously- yeah it's just like like fucked in the head now like she she's like blames herself for it and stuff and super sad which like Um, I get uh, it because I probably would do the same thing but of course there's no way you could have known of course not yeah there's like no way you could have known that that was gonna happen oh yeah no and it's like it's just it's just horrifying and you know you feel so bad for the for the families um the second girl was nine years old so she was the second um youngest and her name was michelle heather um gusey i think is how you say her last name um and so she had you know siblings and stuff and then the oldest of the three was uh doris but they called her denise milner and she was 10 so she was the oldest of the three girls and she was actually one of the like if i was a young girl named doris i would ask people to call me right call me something else please other than doris um but she no offense to any dorises that might be listening right no offense your name sucks though so there is just kidding i mean but some people might think my name sucks too and it does i mean i, I just it. to me it, it seems like such an old lady name you know it is. i mean well this was in the 77 so right it, right you know, yeah. old ladies, have, old ladies have little girls at one point 
Exactly. That's true. It is funny though. When you see, when you meet like, um, a, like a little girl and her name is like Mabel, yeah. or like, you know, even like Sophia kind of, to me is like a little bit of an older lady. Well, I feel like the only reason I would think that is because of Sophia on the golden girls. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's true. Um, but anyway, uh, Doris, AKA Denise Milner, uh, she was actually one of the few black girls, uh, at the camp. And um, she was uh, really nervous to go to camp. So she had had a couple friends, mm-hmm. kind of similar to what you said. Um, she had had a couple friends that were going to go to the camp, but they ended up backing out. And so she kind of was like, I didn't want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what's sad is, is that her mom, Betty, was like, uh, no, you you need to go. You need to go, you know, and stuff like that. And so it's really sad because once again, her mom kind of so, yes. now... I was saying so she probably blames herself too right exactly it's like you know she blames herself for it and it's just really sad and actually this is crazy so I had in here um they were talking about uh Denise and so Denise's mom said later on after all this happened and everything that uh Denise actually Denise had a younger sister Kathleen they called her Kathy that was five and so the day before she took her to camp like the older sister Denise Kathy was in the car with her mom and she was like mom um and she's like what happens when people die what happens when people die and her mom's like you know well people die you know and she's like well what happens if like a lot of people die and her mom was like well people do die you know every day but then babies are born every day you know and so like it's the circle of life you know and then the Kathleen says to her mom mom tomorrow everyone is going to die Oh my god! Not fucking crazy. So she definitely like had a premonition. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, I feel like, uh, I feel like if somebody said that to me, I'd be like, okay, I'm not like, no one's going anywhere tomorrow. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, especially but, after I just never forget, and I know I brought this up before, but that time that you can, you told me, and I remember we weren't even super close yet, but we were just talking. I think like, I don't know, in in line for something that day, it, it was nine eleven. And you told me, I have a feeling something really bad is going to happen today. Yup. And I just was like, I was like, okay, that's kind of weird. But I was like, you know, I didn't not believe in that stuff. So right. when that happened, I was like, oh shit, I didn't realize it was going to be this bad. You know? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I remember it very vividly. My mom even took me to the doctor in the morning because my arm really hurt. And like, I was like, and I told my mom too, like on the way to the doctor, I'm like, sometimes I just have a really bad feeling something bad's going to happen today. And, um, and my mom's like, well, you know, it's all right. Or whatever she says, she probably said something, you know, to the effect of like, well, God's in control. And, um, yeah, my arm really hurt really bad. And she took me to the doctor. And then I remember like, I got to school and all that. And then that's when we heard, and I've had a couple other times where my arm has hurt and then something bad happened. So that's like what my sister always asked me, like before she gets on a plane, she's like, is your arm hurting today? I'm like, oh my no, God. Arm's not hurting. you're good. Well, now I know to ask you if your arm's hurting and I will tell you if my arm hurts before you get on an airplane. All right. Thank you. Um, even if, uh, even if like, I'm not sure I'll tell you, but yeah, there's been a couple other times shitty stuff has happened. Obviously like not people dying, but, uh, just some other stuff that's happened when I, yeah, I've had my arm hurt really bad and had a bad feeling. That's like the most useless, uh, the most useless like application of seriously of psychic powers you know isn't like, it though it really my arm hurts and so something's bad's gonna happen today but you have no idea what yeah. or to who right. or, exactly you know, like, like i have no idea what it is or when it is or even if it has anything to do with me but it's it's something bad's gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> oh, Shit. Well. life is life is something else 
Uh, but anyway, yeah, so that little girl, you know, she had a premonition and it's just so sad. But anyway, so uh, Camp Scott uh, was located in Cookson Hills, Oklahoma, and it was like, you know, really big wooded area. And I guess the camp itself had been around for like 50 something years, about 410 acres. And there were, it, it could hold up to, I guess, about 140 campers and 30 counselors. And uh, I heard one thing that said, uh, so a five day, so like one week was like $5, which in today's money would be like 80 bucks. Oh, wow. Now that's, you know, whatever. Um, it's like a typical camp. I would say like when I went to camp uh, growing up, we went to this one camp, it was called Camp Lakeview. And um, I, I mean, I, I enjoyed going. I mean, I think I went every year, probably from like the summer after my third grade year to the summer after my sixth grade year, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a week long and I, and I enjoyed it. And it was like, you got to fill off this thing and it was um, you got to choose like your top three activities that you wanted to do. And so then there was time throughout the day, everybody got to go swimming, but then there was like two other things that you got to do in groups. And there was archery, swimming, archery. Um, yeah, there was archery. I, um, I did it one year. There was volleyball. That's there so was cool. like acting. I was always in the drama one. We always like put on a play. Oh, that's so um, fun. Yeah, it was, it was really fun, but this sounds like that was kind of like what it was. They had archery, swimming, bird studies, insect stuff, like just t- tons of stuff like that. Uh, by the way, my Girl Scout camp was called Camp Dorothy. And I, I fucking love that. thought that was kind of funny. Camp Dorothy. <laughs> so anyway, so there was, um, so the way that it was like kind of laid out is there were, um, there were these different um, campsites. And then at each campsite, there was uh, like seven, around seven tents and then a counselor tent. And then um, the the tents, but those tents were like the big kind, like the military kind almost. Mm-hmm. So there was, uh, they were like about 12 by 14 feet and you could fit about three or four cots in each one. Okay. And so um, they, uh, they're kind of, so the campsite that the, these girls were in was called Camp Kiowa. And uh, the way that it's set up is like the tents were in like a semicircle and then kind of toward the middle of, not even the middle, but like kind of toward the first tent was the um, counselor's tent. And then to the right of that was like the kitchen and shower and stuff. And then uh, to the right of that was the campfire. And then all the way on the other semicircle was uh, the latrine that was closed. So they didn't even have indoor plumbing. So, so wild to think. Yeah, you know. Well, so when I went to the Girl Scout camp, Camp Dorothy, like we had. Well, this is while you're saying, I'm just sharing the picture of kind of how the camp was set up. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. So we had, so we had cabins, you know, a bathroom area set up with actual bathrooms that you could go into. Um, but as we were like walking around to see the rest of the camp, we saw like I, I think I don't know if it was me but I might've fallen into one of these holes. And then I asked one of the counselors what the hole was. And they were like, oh, that's for the older girls. They have to dig their own latrines. No, 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 no. Yep. Oh my God. That is ridiculous. No, no thanks. That yeah. Cause like, you know how like uh, boy scouts have Eagle scouts. Like when you get older, yeah. I don't remember what it's called in girl scouts, but they do a similar thing. That is insane. Yeah. I would not like to do that. I know some kids enjoy that and that's great. Um, but anyway, so all that to say, the way that the campsite was set up, the counselor's tent, so there's seven kid tents, 
Okay, so I guess if you're counting the uh, counselor tent, then there's eight, you know, if you're not, then there's seven. So let's say we're going to count the counselor tent as one, tent eight is where these three girls were staying. So it's kind of like on the complete opposite side of where the counselor is. And also too, I think it's weird that to me, I guess that's just the way it is. To me, it's weird that there is, um, that there, to me, it's weird that there weren't counselors in each tent. I guess it's different because there's tents and the tent only holds three people. But like when I grew, when I was growing up, like we were in cabins, obviously, because it was a little more recent, but we were in cabins and there was a counselor in each cabin. There wasn't just some like random, you know, kids all left to their own devices. Well, I don't know I, if that's standard or not, but we our little cabins in the Girl Scout camp I went to held four beds in each cabin and we did not have a counselor in each cabin. So like so in, in mine, I had, it was me and my friend and then another girl and our fourth bed was empty. Crazy, absolutely crazy. Well, and I guess it is what it is, you know, like if it's, um, if they, you know, if they have the abilities to put in, of course, you know, before, before something like this happened, I mean, there wasn't really ever something that made people think, oh my goodness, this is not right. safe. And, you know, right. And cause you're uh -huh. out in the woods, like who's going to be out in the woods with you, you know? Exactly. Um, but like, I think the thing was too, is there was a counselor nearby just in case, right. In they case they would do, problem. they were doing rounds, you know, like every, right. every hour or something that the right. counselors would walk by and make sure everybody was in their cabins and everything was, you know, on the up and up. Right. Yeah. Well, this was, um, so it was similar to that, you know, they had the counselors who make their rounds and everything. Well, anyway, also too, and I showed you in the picture, it's like the kitchen slash shower storage area, whatever, kind of obstructed the view of the, the tent eight, like kind of obstructed the counselor view, which is not good, but it is what it is. Um, so anyway, the first kind of thing talking about anything like ominous happening or whatever was this one girl and she was 15 years old. She was a counselor. And her name was Michelle Hoffman, Hoffman, sorry. And apparently in April of 1977, she was like at a training there to like kind of get prepared, maybe on like her spring break or something. She went for a training. And so she, when she got back from her uh, training, she got back to her, to her tent and her, like all, some of her stuff was all messed up. Like some of her stuff was thrown outside of her tent. There was like a box that they had given around for like that had donuts in it for the uh, counselors that that was gone. And then there was like this notebook that she had. And she said, she was just like messed, like looking through it. And then there was like these notes that said like, kill, kill, kill. Oh my God. And like, we will kill this one said, and we will kill three girls in tent one. Whoa. So like, apparently now, and it is debated on what happened. So apparently some people say that some of the other counselors, I'm assuming maybe guy counselors, like admitted that they had done it, you know, like they were just pranking her. Cause you know, stuff like that happens a lot. Right. Um, but then other people say, no, she just kind of said, it's not even that they admitted it. She just kind of in her mind was like, oh, okay, that's a prank, whatever. And like brushed it off. I mean, to me, that's like, that's not like, oh, I put a frog in your bed. I mean, that's like right. pretty fucking sick. If like, that's not a, like, that's not funny. No, you know? that's violent threats against <laughs> a child. Yeah. Like that's not something like, I can't imagine like, and trust, I mean, trust me after like helping raise Ethan, like the boys do some stupid stuff and they, they think some things are funny, but I can't imagine them all going, ha we're going to say that we're going to kill three kids. Like right. just super weird. But anyway, um, so yeah, so, uh, that went on, you know, whatever went on. And so then come June is when actual camp had started. So it's kind of crazy because actually at the beginning of this, uh, this camp week or camp two weeks, there was actually supposed to be a fourth girl in the tent. Oh. 
with them. Uh, her name was Angela Swede and she uh, ended up like she, she, she was originally supposed to stay in a different tent and then they didn't have enough room. So they put her in tent eight. Oh. Um, so apparently the first, like when they were first together, they kind of put their stuff in their tents and then they went and walked to the bathroom. But I guess during when they're walked to the bathroom, they said that they saw like three flashlights in the, in the woods and it kind of spooked them, but the flashlights like got turned off or whatever. So they were like, oh, well, and just kind of walked away. Well, when they got back to the room, then they decided they were going to go to the campfire and like hang out with the other kids. So they did that. And then that's when Angela found out that, no, they did have room for her in the other camp where she knew people. Oh, wow. So she, so, she was lucky in that sense. Yes. So after they had had their camp thing the night, um, they, the three girls, Lori, Michelle, and, uh, and Doreen, no, Doris, uh, go back to their, to their tent. And they actually, I guess all were like deciding they wanted to write letters back home, which is cute. You know, mm-hmm. I remember like thinking it was cool to like send my nieces postcards and stuff when I was right. at camp. And so, and I just saw this thing. I thought it was cute and really sad too. Just kind of like thinking about these, these kids that really had no idea their life was about to end, you know, but Lori, so Lori had written, she said, dear mom and dad and Misty and Joe and Chad and Kathy, uh, we were just getting ready to go to bed. It's 7.45. We're um, at the beginning of uh, camp. I've met two new friends, Michelle Gousset and Denise Milner. I'm sharing a tent with them. It's starting to rain on the way back from dinner. We're all sleeping on cots. I couldn't wait to write. We're all writing letters now because there's hardly anything else to do. So that was uh, Lori's letter. Aww. Yeah. So this is like the last thing seriously parents have from them yeah and um michelle's letter said like dear aunt karen how are you i'm fine i'm writing from camp we can't go outside because it's storming uh me and my tent mates are in the last tent in our unit my tent mates are denise milner and Lori farmer my room is in the in shades of purple love michelle um, and then Denise's letter is really sad, but like, I, well, I'll just read it and then I'm going to tell you, like, I can relate. Dear mom, I don't like camp. It's awful. The first day it rained. I have three new friends named Glenda, Lori, and Michelle. Michelle and Lori are my roommates. Mom, I don't want to stay at camp for two weeks. I want to come home and see Cassie and everybody. Mm. And it's sad because like, and her mom had said, like, after her friends had kind of backed out of camp, she didn't want to go. And she kind of pushed her to it. And she's like, if you're not happy, like you can call and we'll come pick you up. Just give it a try. Mm. And I know like I do, I, when I heard, when I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, I have this vivid memory of going to this other camp with my mom. And it was more of like a family Christian camp. Mm-hmm. And it, so I went with my mom and my dad and I was a teenager and I remember I didn't stay in the dorm. Like I was with my parents. So I stayed like in a camper or something, but I remember like not knowing anyone and that feeling of not knowing anyone is like super, super sucky. Right. And you're, you're you know, like, and I, who am I going to hang out with? They're not going to think. Yes, I'm dude, you're like sitting all by yourself. Right. And like, now I remember I, it was funny because like, I remember, uh, one day I just like had, i made like one friend and we were talking and stuff and we went out and like, they were playing volleyball and she was like, do you want to play? I'm like, oh yeah, I play volleyball for high school. And so she was like, uh, we started playing and you know, I mean, I, I like could hold my own. I'm not like great by any means, but 
And so I like kind of started like making a lot of friends and by like, and after that, then I was great. Like I had lots of friends and stuff, but at first I was like, this sucks. Like, I don't want to be here. And I kept telling my mom, like, just like, let's go home. Like, I don't want to be here. You know, like, I don't know anyone. I'm not trying to make friends. And so I really, like, when I read that letter Denise wrote, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I feel so bad for her. I know that feeling that you get when you're like, this sucks. Right. I think we all can kind of relate, you know? And it's like, and then that was like one of her last feelings is just like super sad to me. But anyway, so, uh, there were about three girls that I guess were like kind of maybe closest, uh, counselor wise. And they were all young, 18, 18 and 20, I believe there was Carla, Wilty, Susan, and then a girl named D. So I guess like between 1130 and 1am, like where, when the counselor started hearing some noises, but you know, they are out in the woods, there's animals in the woods and stuff. So I guess Carla like kind of had just maybe kind of like been like, eh, whatever, it's fine. Uh, about 1.30 a.m., and this will come in interesting later when we kind of hear about who they think did this, um, but she said she kept hearing noises that she described as, like, moaning, but not, like, human or animal. She didn't know what they were, um, and so they stopped, and after they stopped, she kind of, like, walked around. She said she, uh, another counselor said they heard noises, and they saw, like, a dim light coming from the forest, but then when they went to go check it out, there was nothing there, so they were like, eh, it's fine. Um, and then I guess somebody else that did different because, you know, they had those camp clusters. So there was another camp called Camp Cherokee. And from that camp at about three in the morning is when they said they heard someone screaming, calling for their mom. Mm. I know. And then, but like there was nothing. So they kind of just assumed it was a scared camper. So in the morning, about 6 a.m. in the morning, Carla woke up, went to go to the shower. And then that's when, you know, obviously she found uh, the bodies. So she said she, so the first one, so there's a little bit of um, confusion, not confusion, but like different stories. So most people say that Denise Milner, she was the first one found and that she was actually in, she had like, uh, Carla found a sleeping bag laying on the ground. Mm -hmm. And um, it looked like she thought at first somebody maybe just had dropped it the day before, but then she noticed there was like something in it. And then when she opened it up, then, then that's when she found Denise. Um, some people say, no, Denise was outside of the sleeping bag and she was on the sleeping bag, but I mean, really, that doesn't matter. Uh, you know, it's so sad. Denise, you know, was naked. She had, uh, she was bound at the wrist, gagged. Um, and then you could just tell right away, like she had been beaten to death. Um, and so of course Carla went on and, uh, went to get other counselors and they went to go get the camp owners. And they mentioned this and one thing that I was watching, but it it really isn't to me, it's not that, I mean, it's weird and it's like sad and creepy, but it never really came of anything was that apparently the camp owners called their lawyers before calling the police. I'm not sure if that's even true, but like, I guess that was in one of the things that I was I feel like at. when you are a business owner like that, though, that's, that's not uncommon. Like, that right. yeah, I guess that's true. It's like, you know, people want to like make sure that they, they're cause they knew and... that they're liable for this, basically like the, the families right. of these girls could probably sue them. So they were just probably trying to get their ducks in a row. Right. But I mean, you know, you never know. It could be somewhat nefarious. I don't know, right. you know, who you're going to say is a suspect yet. So yeah, that's weird. But anyway, nothing ever really came of it. But so then of course they go on and then they find the two other bodies, Michelle and Lori, about hundred yards away from Denise's body. And then these two bodies are actually more like in the actual woods. Uh, so they call the police and they realize the police get there and they realize like pretty like right when they get there, like they're in way over their heads, this is too big and they needed extra, extra help. 
Uh, so they call the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigations, which is the OSBI. And um, so they determined, the OSBI determined that like Lori and Michelle were the first to die and that all three of the girls, they their cause of death was blunt force trauma um, and that they all showed signs of sexual abuse. Oh, that's so terrible. So, yeah, it's just like really sad and just like such a horrifying thing. And um, so I guess like the tent itself was really bloody. Uh, it kind of looked like somebody maybe had tried to like clean up some of the blood with some sheets that were in the tent. Um, and then they also did find a bloody nine, a nine and a half foot, uh, like print of a, of a boot, uh, around the area of the crime scene that police also found nylon rope, duct tape, and a flashlight near the body. So like somebody was clearly like planning this, like they Correct. camp I would assume so. or being that they're going to be there and, you know, they scoped out the best plan of attack. Correct. I would, I would think so for sure. Fucking sicko. Um, yeah, exactly. And so, and also they found a pair of eyeglasses that had been stolen out of another tent, uh, which I'll get like, you'll kind of see where they're going with that. But anyway, so this is just horrible and like such a heinous thing, you know, crime and everything. So obviously it's like, let's get the rest of the kids packed up. They got to go. Camp is canceled. Right. Right. Cancel immediately over at that point. Right. And then it's like horrible. Like this is so shitty. And I guess it, it, I, and I think about like today with no, like back in the day, it wasn't like, oh, I've got a list of all the, you know, all the campers, parents, cell phone numbers and blah, but like they, the parents just knew that something horrible happened to some of the kids, but like they had no idea who it was that was involved until the kids got back. Oh my gosh. So like they were literally just waiting for the kids to get off the bus, just like hoping, hoping that they kid got off the bus. Kid. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah. And so then and Angela, so Angela said that she um she at this point like didn't know who they were because that's a lot of kids. I mean, if you think about seven different campsites or whatever, um, and then you know how many ever little camps on, in the middle of that, it's like there's a lot of kids. So she she didn't know even who it was at first. And so Angela said she did remember she was on the bus. And she like, I guess hadn't, she dropped something. So she hadn't heard them call her name when they called her name the first couple times. So then when she finally did come off the bus, her mom was like bawling and like on her knees bawling. Cause she thought like mm-hmm. that she wasn't coming off the bus when they call her name. Um, and so it wasn't, I guess, until the next day that Angela saw the paper and saw that it was Lori, Denise and Michelle oh my and realized gosh. like somehow that her life had been spared. And then of course- That's by being able to switch tents. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. And um, so anyway, you know, of course, the whole everyone is freaking out. They have to find out who who is involved. And it's just like they've got to, you know, they got to find out. They've got to find out now. Um, so anyway, uh, the first person that, of interest that they had was a local farmer, actually. His name was Jack Schroft. Um, apparently, like some of the materials he had um, had used um apparently some of the materials that he had uh that were using the murders came from his farm his property so but apparently like as soon as they had you know gone in and been like um these came from you like right away he was like voluntarily took a lie detector test he was like I'm not this isn't me whatever and he was cleared right away apparently he passed the lie, lie detector test and his stuff was stolen off of his property and I guess he had already like reported that some stuff was taken Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's sad is is that this guy was like so relentlessly bullied by the press and like people and stuff even though you know his name was cleared um that he actually ended up uh dying of a heart attack oh wow yeah because like people were just like fucking with him that's sad yeah it was really sad so anyway um so uh after that on june 16th um they had brought in like police dogs 
and they made no, you know, made no headway or whatever. So anyway, I guess on like the 10th day of the investigation, they had an announcement, they had a suspect. So this guy that they had, they have for the murder is Gene Leroy Hart. And he was a native American guy, 35 years old. And he actually had been arrested like in 73 and was had been sentenced to 300 plus years yes this is years i'm saying for burglary and the kidnapping rape of two pregnant women what but he had escaped from jail from prison rather mays county prison in 1973 and he had been at large for four years Wow. So they were like, this is our guy. Uh, he grew up a mile away from Camp Scott. Um, and then like, there was a lot of information that the kidnap rape victims had given that like, he had used nylon rope and duct tape to subdue them. This is really graphic and sad. But um, the one lady said that, that, um, that he used to make these weird, like guttural noises he was like abusing them that it could be similar to what the what the counselors heard right that's what i was having my thing so disgusting yeah um and then also both of the pregnant women this is really weird too said that uh they wore glasses and that he was like trying like he like after he had like kidnapped them he was like trying on their glasses which you know they they had found um a pair of glasses that had been stolen earlier well so so far this is sounding like the guy Right. Well, so he had, you know, and then he had also, uh, when he did kidnap and attack those women, the pregnant women, he did bind them with duct tape and left them in the woods for dead. So it kind of makes sense. And they end up getting away and, and they were um, okay and everything and survived. But so apparently um, this kind of guy, it's like kind of looking like this is him. And so they start looking some more because of course, you know, they can say it's him all day long, but he had, he had escaped and he'd been at large for like four years. Uh, so apparently they, uh, they were looking for him and they ended up finding a cave that looked like somebody had lived there. And the cave was actually only like a few miles away from Camp Scott, but also like only like a hundred yards from Gene Hart's childhood home. Oh, wow. And so they find in this cave, there are sunglasses that matched uh, reported stolen sunglasses from a camp counselor. There was duct tape that matched uh, the stuff that was used in the murders, women's underwear, Ooh, uh, cigarette butts and then in a nearby cave from there somebody had written um it said 6 17 77 but like it was written 77 6 17 i guess people used to write like that well um, yeah also you know what um, i'm saying it different people uh different countries write their dates differently too yeah so it said that date and then it said the killer was here bye bye uh fools or something like that So they, you know, they're all looking and everything. And there were also some, some pictures, I guess, that were found. And this was like a little shady to me. So I hope I'm saying this right. I guess there was like, these pictures came from like something that Gene used to work in the photo lab and he had stolen the pictures and that's how they were able to charge him is because he had worked there and that's where the pictures were from. So I guess they, that's what they had found that in the cave too. So they charge him with murder, which is great, except for the fact that he's still at large, you know? Uh, So the manhunt actually begins and became the biggest in Oklahoma at the time and actually ended up costing over a million dollars in today's money. Wow. Um, So, and this is kind of weird too. So about a month after they had said that Gene was the guy and everything, and they're looking for him, um, they're the camp uh, people 
were like working in the camp and like the camp was shut down, but there were still people like on the property. And they said that they saw like a silhouette of a man um, and stuff. And so they went to go see what it was and then they couldn't find him. But when they came back, there was a pair of shoes in a bag and it wasn't like an evidence bag. It was just like another kind of bag mm-hmm. that were said that they were Denise's shoes. Uh, um, so they kind of started to think that like this gene guy was like stalking the murder site essentially, which we know criminals do. Yeah, they do. Um, and so they even um, were like kind of like set up booby traps a little bit, like these thin strings to see if anyone was passing them. And then sure enough, they were finding footprints and stuff was broken. So it's kind of crazy. And it kind of reminded me of um, like shit, like Beauty and the Beast type shit. Um, July 24th, people were like getting upset and they were like, he is in these woods. And so they kind of like surrounded this four mile area. What do you mean? Like, like it, mob mentality kind of thing? Yes. Yeah, it wasn't like, oh, we're putting a search party together. It was a mob mentality. Some were drunk, some were armed. And also too, it's important to note, like- Like Kill the beast. it kill the beast exactly it was like that kind of mentality and also on top of that gene was an uh a native american guy and you know that like you had talked before in your stuff it's like people weren't nice right all the time to native americans and i think that might have had something to do with it yeah um, I, mean, I wouldn't doubt it yeah it was just like really like shitty well anyway 10 months later in april 6 1978 they find gene and he's at the home actually of an old cherokee medicine man um and his name was sam pigeon and apparently like the old like cherokee medicine man men and i don't have any way of verifying this other than from what i read so if this is incorrect like i apologize because i've just read that i've just read this today like i have no prior knowledge well, what, of this. Uh, where did you where did you read it though um it was in well it was in one of these articles and then i heard it on one of my podcasts I was oh, okay because i was gonna say if you cite your source then it's their fault not yours yeah. <laughs> well he um he, they were just saying that like Cherokee, like the medicine men and like Native American tend to be super duper non-judgmental and that like they're a safe haven for people, like no matter what their crime. I mean, and I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what they well, say. okay. I can kind of see this on the one hand because like it, it this is it's a thing with people who are I feel like this is a thing like with priests too. Like if you go to a priest and you confess like a murder to that priest, they can't report it to the police. Right. That's true you said it in confession so if it's like you know like a similar thing like they're going to respect the privacy of whoever's coming to them with a problem then that makes sense to me you know yeah yeah so I think that's kind of probably what it really was well anyway when Gene was found he was wearing women's glasses eyeglasses and he had items on him that were stolen from Camp Scott there was a blue mirror, like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking the picture that I saw kind of was like almost one of those type of things where it was like, uh, you know, like the little fake little plastic blue mirrors that kids get in like little sets and stuff. And, and there was like a couple other things. Uh, yeah, so I, mean, I, I, I mean, I understand like kids toys, there's mirrors sometimes included, but I don't know yeah. specifically the kind of mirror that you're like, yeah, just like fun, just like, you know, like the, that kind of like little kid thing. Um, and then apparently when he was getting arrested, he said, you'll never pin it on me. Now that could mean I didn't do this and you're trying to pin it on me and it's not going to happen. Or it's, I did this and I'm going to get away with it because you're never going to pin it on me. Right. Uh, so do with that what you will. March of 79 is when the trial began. Uh, so the two big pieces of evidence that they had against Jean were there was a strand of hair that was on the duct tape that was on Denise um and then the semen that they recovered from the bodies so apparently the hair that was found um was a microscopic match for gene 
But what's interesting is like now that type of comparison is not like DNA match. It is discredited now. Right. Yeah. I was going to say that's not like, it's not the same thing as DNA. So I feel like there's something like that that happened with, um, oh, what's his name? Um, the one Zac Efron was, um, yeah, like there was like the tooth thing. And then now they're like, that would have never flown in court. Um, you know, like they compare like dental or something like dental marks on the girl because oh, bitter yeah, or something. Yeah. Like so marks. it's like some stuff just gets, you know, like as we get, you know, more into science, right. and learn more, some things are just discredited. That's the way it is. So people, you know, testify against Gene and uh, the prosecution feels like, you know, they got this guy where they want him and then the defense comes in. And so they had actually, hey, he was a Native American uh, group of lawyers uh, from Oklahoma City, and they just tore the prosecution apart. Uh, they, the sample, the semen sample was not of Gene. It simply was of a non-white male with type O blood. Right. So, like, I mean, there's not, there's, when you're doing evidence like that, it's, it, that's so, it, it's not, um, you can't pinpoint the exact match for it. Exactly. Not like DNA, which obviously I know they didn't have DNA back there, but it's, that's all like circumstantial, you know? Exactly. Um, and so they couldn't prove that it was him. Uh, they said like Gene, they found a nine and a half, uh, size, uh, boot print. Like, no, he doesn't wear a nine and a half. He had a much smaller foot size, um, or much bigger size. They didn't specify. Um, and then there was a fingerprint on one of the flashlights that wasn't his either. Uh, they even had a waitress come testify that she had seen this other guy, William Stevens, who was like a convicted rapist um, in a cafe the morning of the murders. And he was acting shifty. Um, another, they had a camper from Camp Scott, uh, an 11-year-old testify that, that he saw William Stevens at Camp Scott before the murders occurred. And they said he, which is weird because when I'm thinking about it, it was a Girl Scout camp. But either way, um, they had a camper. And then a friend of uh, William Stevens also testified at, on Gene's behalf and said that Stevens borrowed a red flashlight from him. And the day after the murders, he came to his house and he had like scratches all over him. And he even went as far as to say that William Stevens got drunk and admitted to doing it. So who's this William Stevens guy now? He's just this other convicted rapist in the area that they kind of, so essentially what they're doing is they're like, don't look over here. Look right, over here. right. Well, I mean, that's pretty common. It's like, well, yeah, oh, I mean, that's defense you're only that's focusing on this one suspect. You should be looking at this other suspect. Exactly. So Stevens, William Stevens said he like, no, he did not, you know, whatever, like that was not him. And I guess they like him, he was, you know, ruled out. Like they didn't think he was a suspect, but they had done a good enough job that only after five minutes of deliberation, this jury found him not guilty. Wow. Yeah. And so that was a real kick in the, you know, kick in the shins to everybody, the prosecution, just the families, everything. Uh, the jury said that there were just too many loose ends. The prosecution did not prove without a shadow of a doubt. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I don't know if you and I have talked about this before, but I would be a really bad jury jurist to have, or jurist juror to have, <laughs> because I, <laughs> I'm Oh, words are hard because I would not be, I would not be good. Like it would be very hard for me to, to say that you've convinced me without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. No, I think that actually would make you a great juror. <sighs> yeah. I guess because you know, how many times does someone who's not guilty of the crime get convicted for it? Because, you know, they do a good job of swaying you one way or the other. Right. When you look at the evidence and you still have questions and you say, I can't say, you know, 
beyond a shadow of a doubt that this person did it you're doing your job exactly there because that's what that's why you have a jury of peers because you know the prosecution can be biased and so can the defense and so there you have to make their case you have to look at the evidence and say whether you think the evidence stacked up in a way that says yes this person definitely did it or no I think there's probably it could be someone else Mm -hmm. so I mean yeah Yeah, and it's it's just you know the evidence wasn't there for them um and then also but it's like it's not funny but it's kind of funny because like yeah that's great you didn't get convicted of this but you still have to go back to prison for 300 plus years right he already (laughs) he already was yeah he already he was a criminal anyway so he still has to go do his time for his other crimes exactly and actually only about two months after the trial he died in prison anyway well and here's the thing too it's like i feel if you knew you were going back to prison anyway because you have this other charges against you wouldn't that make you more likely to confess and be like yes i did this yeah you would think you would think um he swore how up many and down serial do killers it. do we have and then they confess to crimes they didn't commit you know right yeah um yeah it's just like crazy and then even after that you know the oklahoma state uh, bureau of investigations refused to reopen the case they had like really thought they had the right guy with gene uh, so they were just like really like steadfast. No, even though he didn't get committed, that was the guy that did it. Family was super dissatisfied, obviously, with the outcome. And they actually ended up getting a petition signed uh, and they wanted the grand jury to look at uh, reopening the case. And they actually even found two people that they thought could be could be uh, good for the crime. And uh, the one guy was Frank. His name was Frank Justice, of all things. Oh Apparently, God. he's kind of like a lifetime criminal. He was actually a friend of Gene Hart's. Um, and they questioned him, but like there, it just like he was kind of evasive, but he didn't like there was nothing like tying him, tying him to it. And then the other guy they thought might be involved was actually a nephew of Frank and his name was Sonny. He was only 16 at the time of the murders. Um, And he actually was like, he was charged with one murder, like completely unrelated to this and then was acquitted, but then he ended up killing somebody else. He was just like struggling. Um, But either way, they never really found out who did this. And if it was Gene, you know, I can't even say he got away with it because like, you know, he was still had to go to prison for the rest of his life. But, you know, you feel bad for the family and then they don't have, um, they don't, they don't get that closure. Right. Um, William Stevens, the guy that they said, oh no, it could be him. He was a convicted rapist and they saw him at the cafe. He died by suicide in 1984 while he was in prison. Oh, wow. He went, ended up going back to prison for uh, something unrelated. Uh, In 2011, this is interesting to me and I don't know if this, if this is even a thing, but this other guy, John Russell, John Russell claimed that a fellow inmate, Carl Lee Myers, confessed to the murders. He said he would try to go to law enforcement and try to like, like tell his story and they just kind of like ignored him. Uh, Carl Lee Myers died in prison in 2012. And then a lot of people think that even if Gene was involved, that there were more than, there was more than one murderer. I mean, that makes sense too, because it was, you know, three murders and there were three if all murders. of the girls had been sexually assaulted. Like what's the window of time yep. that, that had occurred within, it would make um, sense for it to be like more than one person. And like that note, if we look back at that note, that was in the notebook, it said, we will kill. Oh yeah. Um, then those girls, you know, the girls, did the they, first time they went to the bathroom, they saw multiple flashlights. Did they question people? Did they question like the counselors because there were did you say there were male counselors at the camp 
Well, there were, they didn't mention any male counselors. They met, that was back when they had the training in April. Oh, okay. They were saying they thought it was like the male counselors just being assholes and like pranking. When the actual girls were there, they didn't mention any male counselors. They did question the counselors though. And I guess like kind of more than anything, they were just like, well, we heard stuff, but we didn't know what it was. So we just kind of let it go. Um, yeah. Cause well, were some of the counselors, they were, they were probably teenagers, right? Yeah. They're teenagers. Yeah. Teenagers. They don't always make the best decisions. Yeah. You know? No, I know. And well, okay. If I'm a teenage girl supervising a bunch of younger girls, even if I'm 18 and we're in the woods and it's night and I hear something weird that like freaks me out I don't know that I'm gonna go run right over there and check it out you know I because like what if it's a bear you know like that I would be scared you know you can't blame them for not going and checking it out exactly exactly um and actually too in 2008 they uh took some DNA samples and ran them again through um the processing and all that and I guess on one of the pillowcases they did find female DNA that was not matching any three of the girls uh, Lori Farmer's mom actually had said Sherry Farmer she had like said from the jump she thought there was a woman presence in the murder but like I don't know how she felt that way like other than just feelings there was right evidence. and also too it's like with the DNA thing um like we know with the John Bonet thing like just because there's DNA on there doesn't necessarily mean that it had anything to do it could have been right. manufacturing yeah. the the pillowcases yeah that's true too I was gonna I was gonna say that have they taken the stuff back out and run DNA but yeah that's a good point um and so anyway then this is crazy too and i don't know if this has any truth to it or not but so a lot of the um, oklahoma state bureau of investigation people were told that a cherokee medicine man had put a curse on the crime scene and on the crime scene dogs and they would die which is horribly sad because why bring the fucking dogs into this right um but they all laughed it off except for this one guy who was actually native american and he kind of believed in that and um it ended up that like i guess like three of the dogs had died like in like kind of mysterious case, you know, cases. And some people even went as far as to say that Gene Hart was a shapeshifter. Oh, like a skinwalker? Correct. Which I guess maybe would make sense as to how he got, how he broke out of prison. And it would also make sense um, as to like the guttural noises. Yes, dude. Yes, dude. I didn't even think about that. That's um, and like the living in the cave and stuff. I mean, a human could live yeah. in a cave, but. But yeah, so- but no, that is that, that brings a whole new element to it you know yes um and so you know it's this was a horror you know horrifying thing you feel so bad for the families but there was a little bit of good to come out of it and uh one of that is sherry farmer Lori's mom went on to start the oklahoma chapter of parents of murdered children and they actually help and give support to families that are going through that same thing that they went through Oh, that's good. Yes. And Mr. Gousset, Michelle's dad, he actually helped establish the Victim Bill of Rights in Oklahoma and the Oklahoma Victims Compensation Board. And so like the Oklahoma, the crime, um, the the victims rights or victims bill of rights it like lays out what the victims have are able to like they're entitled to rights you know they're entitled to find out you know if something is uh if something's not right or if if somebody takes a deal plea deal they have to be notified you know right away um they have to be uh given back anything that's found like just a whole bunch of things that make things a little easier for victims in this yeah and then also the oklahoma crimes uh like the victim compensation board is like helping people that um, it says Oklahoma crime victims compensation may be available if you or someone you love suffered physical or psychological injury due to a violent crime that occurred anywhere in the state of Oklahoma. 
Oh, wow. So it's just like another layer of help. And I, I just like, I mean, this is horrifying, absolutely horrifying. Um, but it is nice to know that there is some good that came out of this. I mean, that's good. Yeah. It's, it's, it's nice to see humans coming back from something terrible like this usually. And that happens more often than not, you know, people come out of a hardship and then they usually will try to do something good with it or make it so no one else has to go through what they went through, you know? Exactly. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's the story and it, it's a really sad one, but at the same time, it's, um, it's, I, I don't know. I, there's, they, you know, it seems like to me with all the evidence that it, it's definitely what's his name, Gene, mm-hmm. but then at the same time, it's like the jury of his peers decided there wasn't enough evidence. And when you look at it, it is kind of all circumstantial. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I couldn't say for know. sure. I just feel like I wish, you know, something would come out about it and they would be able to put it to rest, but yeah, absolutely. um, You know, so many it's, it's unfortunate and it's sad, but so many murders and, and things like that go unsolved or, you know, whatever, just because there's not enough or it was too long ago before we had the proper tools, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. But anyway, that's the story of the Girl Scout murders. I'm going to try to find something way more fun and lighthearted next week. Cause that was, really <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, we, this is, this is part of, you know, what we do. Podcasting. Yeah, we do. We do a little bit of true crime here and there and it, it, it does suck and it's a bummer, but it's also, these cases are fascinating. And I feel like sometimes the more you learn about this stuff is macabre as it may be the more it prepares you to like not have that happen to you you know yeah absolutely absolutely and just also raising awareness about some cases sometimes you don't hear these as much as other ones exactly and it's nice because you never know someone out there might still have information on it right yes and that's important too you know you never know like in a lot of times those the older cases like that at the time when it happened you know, there is no social media, there's no Facebook, there's no Twitter, there's none of that. It's like some of the stuff, yeah, the people who know what happened could very well still be alive. Now, granted, right. if it was Gene, he's dead. If it was William Stevens, he's dead. If it was that Carl guy, he's dead. But, but you know, there are other people, the family, you know, yeah, man, yeah, like would be important even after all this time. So. Right. So, I mean, I know we're not, we don't reach a whole, we don't reach a large audience with our podcast at the moment, but you know, it's still just like, I think that that's part of why it's important to tell these stories. It's not just necessarily for our morbid fascination, but right. it's to raise awareness and help, you know, help people as well. Absolutely. And um, I do listen to this Mile Higher podcast I've talked about before, and they obviously like have a big, massive audience and they do a lot of that. Like they'll have even now, sometimes they've had uh, people come, come in and uh, like family members of people who have are, have gone missing or have been found murdered and there's no, you know, there's no uh, closure to the case. And they've, they've done a lot. Like this one girl, um, her sister went missing. And I think like it was kind of evident that it was the dad, but like nothing would happen, nothing would happen. And eventually they got, uh, they got them to open, reopen the case. And I want to say the dad has now been arrested oh, and wow. charged. Yeah. So it's like stuff like that really does help. I mean, you know, one part all it takes is one person to go oh my gosh like i i know something about that you know and right there it's it's on and on and on so well if you 
have any crazy theories about what happened to the Roanoke colony or if you have any fun yeah. camp stories you want to share with right. us um, or any anything else really anything ghost Absolutely. related true crime related we'll take it all you can send us an email and where should they send that email leanne they're going to want to send that email to boozeandghoulspod at gmail.com. That's booze, A-N-D, ghouls, pod at gmail.com. That's right. You can also find us on Twitter at boozeandghouls or on TikTok and Instagram at boozeandghoulspod. Uh, give us a rating and review on whatever format you listen to us on. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, all those places. Definitely. So we'd love to to get a good review from you guys. Um, we appreciate subscribe. you. Subscribe. Yep. Subscribe. And so you uh, get the latest episodes when they drop. You don't miss a you don't miss a beat, if you right. will. Um, I mean, I guess until next time. Stay boozy, friends. <laughs>